the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show as we head into Hour 3. Delight to do so with Brandon Walker. There was an old ad in the 70s for Michelob. Weekends were made, or these times were made for Michelob. These times were made for Brandon Weikert, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to control life. I don't want you sipping a Michelob right now, uh, Brandon, but you take the point. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am uh, trying to keep myself up. uh, So I'm sipping on one of these venti caramel things from a certain coffee company that's nationwide. Yes, you can't mention it lest they get protested with an intifada, I'm guessing. (laughs) Right. Right. How are you? I'm doing fine. We're a little cold here. We've unloaded and unleashed our Christmas music, so we're in the spirit of everything, I think. Except in the spirit of a war footing, which obviously is not something we want to be, but we are in. And I want want to talk to you about this. Um, Let me... I don't know whether to start with God... Well, let me start here. You were were reposting something Richard Kemp... Uh, flagged at Euro News, U.S. warship and multiple commercial vessels under the fire under fire in the Red Sea, British ship reportedly sinking. Britain and the U.S. should immediately <laughs> retaliate against Iran and their Houthi proxy. You write, but they won't. The Houthis will get a sternly written statement from the White House, while Biden pretends like Iran is just a passive observer. Let's do a little one hundred and one, Brandon. First off, can you, okay. uh, yeah, educate me and the audience on the Houthi <laughs> rebels? Yeah, uh, this is not a group that has gotten the deserved and necessary requisite attention it needs. They are not a Arab uh, knockoff band of Houthi and the Blowfish. Right. Uh, they are. Uh, they are an ancient group. Well, no, they're not ancient. They're they're a tribe in Yemen. And they are in a predominantly Sunni country, which is just beneath Saudi Arabia. Uh, they are a Shiite Islamic group, which means Iran being also Shiite Islamic uh, or just Shiite. Uh, they get the support from Iran. This group of rebels uh, really came to fruition as a as a regional and even a global, dare I say, now threat. Uh, thanks to the failed, uh, disastrously failed foreign policy of Barack Obama. Um, people do not remember very well um, the early years of the Obama administration's Middle East policy, but uh, the former president, Obama, was hailing Yemen as a symbol of the success that his particular brand of counterterrorism uh, policy compared to his predecessor, George W. Bush, that it was, a, it was an example for how the Obama uh, foreign policy and counterterrorism policies in the region were working so much better than, the, than those Republicans' uh, uh, policies were. And of course, not less than a year and a half after the former president had hailed 
Yemen as a par, you know, great example of his success. Uh, the government there, the pro-American uh, monarchy there, collapsed. Uh, Al-Qaeda moved in. And then the Houthis, because they were Shiites, broke away from the uh, Al-Qaeda types, began looking for allies, found that in Iran. And then, of course, Saudi Arabia always worried about uh, the Shiites of Iran growing stronger than the Sunnis of the region, uh, pivoted and started backing the Islamist factions that you know were related with al-Qaeda uh, as a means of trying to prevent the spread of the Houthis from where they were uh, and therefore the spread of the Iranians. And so today this has gone on since 2011, uh, it's this, this kind of back and forth and in the process grow this 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 attack or this terrorist group has grown uh into the horrible group that we now see where they are able with iran's backing to sink british ships to threaten international shipping uh to move missiles in and out of the area i remind your audience i've been reporting on this story for about a year but last november uh iran was shipping kilos of uranium to the houthis where the, that uranium was intercepted by none other than al-Qaeda in Yemen, which means that al-Qaeda has Iranian uranium. Mm. Say that five times fast. So that's where we are right now. This is all a product of Obama's incredibly failed and continuing to fail, thanks to Biden, uh, foreign policy for the region. How, how potent a force are the Houthis? Uh, striking at American and British ships seems pretty potent to me. We've watched them grow from a group of a hodgepodge group of villagers armed with AK-47s into this very serious terrorism force deeply enmeshed with the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps. Um, And we have allowed this organization to grow and metastasize so much so that in 2015, the Saudis began what many experts believe to be the worst humanitarian crisis in the world right now, which is the Saudi air war against the Houthis, because the Saudis understand that the Houthis are operating on behalf of Iran, their great regional foe. And so all of this, though, could have been prevented had Obama not meddled in the internal politics of Yemen. The reason I say that is because the monarchy that was relatively pro-American kept that country stable for many years, and the monarchy was very brutal, and Obama, like Jimmy Carter, did not like the human rights abuses and thought that if he could get behind the Islamist element, that that would usher in some form of Islamic democracy. And as we saw throughout the region under Obama, the Arab Spring ultimately became an Islamist winter, and that is what we're seeing now. You know, it's such a weird weird thing to think about, such a paradoxical thing to think about when you consider his meddling in Yemen, his meddling in Egypt, his meddling uh, elsewhere, Central and South America, um, when he said that he wasn't going to meddle in Iran's internal politics when there actually was something worth meddling on behalf of, namely the protesters there, who I remember very well a report from the New York Times saying on the streets in 2009 uh, the protests were saying things like, where's Obama, where's America? And he shut that down right. with the snap of his fingers, saying we won't right. meddle in, a, in the internal politics of Iran. Look, 
Obama was a mentee of the Rashid Khalidi, uh, Edward Said school of Orientalist thought. Obama was very well versed in proto-Marxist and pro-PLO, pro-Islamist, pro-Arabist style teachings going back to his years at Columbia and Occidental College. So this is a guy who had a very clear understanding of what he wanted to achieve in the Middle East, which was completely inimical to the national interests of the United States, and certainly not in the best interests of our traditional allies, notably Israel and the Sunni Arab states. Well, the good news is that we know that what you said about Saudi Arabia committing <clears throat> theoretically one of the worst human rights abuses in our time, we, we, can, we can take solace in knowing that's not true because the world community is saying that Israel is doing that. Right. So, right. So, so we can give what the Saudis a pass that? on that, I think. But, but Seth, isn't it interesting? The world community is uh, chiding both the yep. Saudis yep. and the Israelis, yep. Yep. two of America's strongest, most con- they're not perfect, but they are most consistent and strongest allies in the region. And that is the two groups that the, that the world community, that the Democrats in America and the wider world community is chiding constantly for their supposed human rights violations. And yet very little is said in official press sources about the 300-plus people that were hanged in the last week in Tehran because the Iranians are killing all the political prisoners they have because they're worried about an uprising. The, the more that this, this uh, conflict with the Israelis increases. And so... Um, you know, nothing is said about Iranian human rights violations, which are prolific. And no one is even commenting on the fact that the reason the Saudis intervened in with the air war in Yemen was because Obama stirred the pot in Yemen, stepped back, let the Iranians take over the situation, which, of course, the Saudis were never going to leave alone. They could not allow for the Iranians to move into a country like Yemen, which is directly beneath Saudi Arabia. Their southern border. Well, let me uh, let know, me take like, a quick break yeah. on that and pick up with you on the other side. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Brandon is the author of several important books. You can follow him on Twitter at We the Brandon, or what we call Twix, the portmanteau of Twitter and X. He and I will be right back. Welcome back. Yeah, are you going to start whistling to that, Brandon Weikert? Uh. <laughs> you know who that is? You know whose version that is? I, there, I could give you a thousand guesses. I'm going to guess you wouldn't nail it. That's, Ca- uh, that's Casey and the Sunshine Band. Casey and the Sunshine. Yeah. You know, I tell everybody that I talk to, I always say Seth has the best bumper rotation in all of radio. Thank you. Hands down. Even your Christmas music. Yes. Tell my producer there is yes. blood on the floor yes. from the fights over our Christmas. You tell David, my producer, <laughs> that we side with the scholar Brandon Weikert, who is my guest, <laughs> who yes. speaks the truth. I say to people, they come for the talk, they stay for the music. That's right. <laughs> By the way, it's Christmas season, of course, and uh, Hanukkah season. Gift giving is the thing. There's no greater gift than knowledge. And uh, Brandon's books make for uh, great conveyances of knowledge, particularly the one most relevant for our purposes in this discussion today, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Yeah, Brandon, you know, it's interesting what the point you were making about these allegations of violations of human rights and how the crosshairs seem to uh, uh, 
well, they've eternally well, they've eternally been on Israel and uh, of late on Saudi Arabia, and um, how curious it is that these are U.S. allies. There's something deeper going on, of course, but for our purposes, it seems to me a act of incredible uh, self-flagellation, if not suicide that our State Department uh, higher-ups seem to be going along with it. They seem to be giving a lot of gasoline to, excuse me, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, gasoline to this fire that uh, is, is coming on these international condemnations. Kamala Harris and Antonin Blinken, particularly over the weekend, and of course, uh, obviously, the entire warp and woof of the State Department, they seem, mm-hmm. to, seem to be shoveling coal into this fire of international yeah. condemnation. Well, and they did this to the Shah himself. That's why I brought up Jimmy Carter in the last segment. And I'd like to just quote, I have in the book a quote from the great Paul Johnson, who, as you know, is my favorite historian of the modern age. His quote that I have is, quote, in the first two years of the Islamic Republic of Iran's existence, the government executed over 8,000 people convicted in Islamic courts of being enemies of Allah, whatever that means. Uh, The Khomeini terror moved first against the former regime, slaughtering 23 generals, 400 other army and police officers, and 800 civilian officials, then against supporters of the rival Ayatollahs, 700 of whom were executed, then against its former liberal secular allies and the left. From the start, it organized the execution and murder of leaders of ethnic and religious minorities, killing over 1,000 Kurds, 200 Turkomans, and many Jews, Christians, uh, and others, and members of dissident Shia sects, as well as Orthodox Sunnis. Its persecution of the Bahis was particularly ferocious. Churches and synagogues were wrecked. Cemeteries were desecrated. Shrines vandalized or demolished. And the judicial murdered uh, the judiciary murdered um, a small girl as well as a 102 year old man who was the oldest living uh, poet in Iran at that point. That is the beginning, the first two years of the Iranian regime, and it has only gotten worse. And yet we don't really hear outside of right Republican circles the talk about the actual humanitarian violations of the Iranian Islamic regime. It's only ever about our allies, whether it be in the Middle East or whether it be in Africa or whether it be in nearby Latin America. It's always American allies that that the Democrats in Washington go after for humanitarian violations, never our enemies. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, It's absolutely true. It reminds me of the old joke when Jesse Helms chaired the Committee on Foreign Relations in the Senate, and someone asked him why he was so opposed to funding the State Department. He says, "I'm not opposed to it. I just want them to open an American desk." Can we? Can we? Can, Absolutely. Can, right? Can Can we not stand up for ourselves? There are very few others who will. In fact, it's increasingly becoming dangerous to be an ally of the United States. That's correct. That's correct. And and I think this was uh, in the last week. Uh, the Chinese government released a massive commercial. They're doing a massive media blitz with this commercial that they've created. It's official government Chinese, the Chinese government uh, commercial in which they ask exactly that. They have all these historical examples of how America abandoned or betrayed its allies. And it asks at the end of the commercial, this you could be next. Yeah. Or will you be next? The Chinese are capitalizing on the fact that they have a government in America right now run by people who can't distinguish friend from foe. That's right. Uh, And and our State Department 
you know, continues to aid and abet this. They went to who was the the State Department official who went to uh, went to Shenzhen about uh, two, a year and a half ago and made a video oh, a uh, promotion. Burns. Huh? It was Burns, it yeah. was the ambassador, yeah. Ambassador Burns. Yeah, yeah. this was insanity. Yeah. They made a YouTube video promoting and touting the beauties and wonders of Shenzhen Province, which is which is of course. Well, I, well, it was also about Wuhan as well, because then yes, he went to Wuhan it, and it was yes, the same thing. Yes, it was Wuhan. It the was most Wuhan. ancient city. And yeah. he, he was, I'm like, you know, this is our government. This is These people are paid very well. They have wonderful benefits packages. They, they want for nothing. They travel the world on the government and therefore our dime. And they don't even represent our interests. They're constantly negating what's in the best interests of the United States. And they're doing it from a very pathetic and naive utopian view that somewhere out there, there is this perfect regime about to be built, but America keeps killing it because we want capitalists and, and, and you know, people that will do our bidding only, as if there is some utopian regime out right. there waiting to be built. There is no perfect government. The U.S. must find willing partners abroad in areas and in countries where we have national interests to be preserved. That's all. That's all we need. We don't need utopia. But for some reason, these permanent bureaucrats and the Democrats who run them don't seem to figure this out. And you and I pay dearly. This country pays dearly for their failures. And somehow they never get blamed. No, that's right. And the universities continue to teach and staff these places where right. they are teaching that rather than being a light unto the nations, we are a blight unto the nations. Uh, that's right. America is. Well, one of the things a few of us are a little nervous about, Brandon, is because it's been so quiet diplomatically and news-wise with regard to Iran, one of the things, you know, quiet makes me nervous. And I'm just wondering if we're going to wake up in about three days or perhaps as long as three weeks, maybe not longer, to see some grand deal stricken, struck, created by the Biden administration and Iran, something this quiet makes me nervous. Am I, let me ask you what you think of that when we come right back on the other okay. side of the break, if that's OK. Uh, should I be nervous? Uh, it's been so damn quiet that you almost get the sense that they're about to unveil something really big. Maybe that's paranoia. Let's hope it is. Let's not root for wrong. Let's hope I'm being paranoid. But I also wasn't born yesterday. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. He and I will be right back. Little wall of sound for you there. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Among other books, he is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Follow him on Twitter, X, Twix, at we. The Brandon, we, just W-E, collective first-person I uh, pronoun. That, that, that's his pronoun. Actually, Brandon's pronouns are we, I guess we can say. <laughs> uh, Brandon, I was sketching out para- nervousness or paranoia, you tell me, about how quiet it has been about Iran, which really is kind of the vector of so much of what everything yeah. else we're discussing, whether it's the Houthis or the Hamas terrorists or even also seemingly too quiet Hezbollah at this point. Yeah. I, I, am I going to wake up in a, in a few days uh, or a few weeks and realize, uh, read from the headlines that Joe Biden has an, uh, announced some major deal with Iran? Well, I think it's already in the works. I mean, this is why I wrote the book, The yeah. Shadow War, right. was because going back to Obama, this is where it was headed. And had it not been for Trump 
unexpected. Well, I didn't. It, I, I predicted he was going to win in 2016, but very few did. Uh, and if it wasn't for Trump's victory in 2016, the completion of this deal would have happened in a first term of Hillary Clinton's presidency. And so, uh, you know, the Biden administration is simply carrying on with where the Obama administration ended eight years ago. And so, yes, that's exactly where this is headed. The real reason, again, I said this to you last week, and I'll repeat it again. Lee Smith, writing over at Tablet last month, was completely correct when he said the real reason we deployed two aircraft carriers to the Mediterranean after the October 7th attacks was not to reinforce Israel. It was to prevent Israel from going full bore militarily into Gaza because we are protecting the Iranian interests. We are trying to preserve Iranian interests so that they won't lash out at us in order for us to get this deal with the Iranians, the deal that basically is a rehash of the Obama-era deal, and it will have similarly devastating results, not only for our allies in the region, but for America as well. We will not benefit from any kind of normalization with Iran any more than we benefited, by the way, from with normalization with China in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, this will set Iran on a path toward achieving that which it has long desired, which is regional dominance, which will in turn weaken the American position in this very important region and empower China and Russia, who are the two biggest benefactors behind Iran. And one other thing, you mentioned the quietness of Hezbollah. I would also point out that the Venezuelans, what they are doing right now against their Guianese or Guiana, excuse me, uh, neighbor, uh, over this oil-rich Esquibio region of Guyana, it is also being done in conjunction with Iran. The Iranians are very intimately involved with Venezuela. They have large standing in South America, the Iranians do, their terrorist proxies in particular. And they, this is all being orchestrated. They're, the conflict in, in, in Ukraine, the conflict in the Middle East, the conflict now in Venezuela— um, all of this is being orchestrated partly with the help of Iran, but also with the help of China. China's hidden hand is in all of these conflicts because they're trying to create as much chaos around the world that the American military, which is at its weakest point since the 1920s and 30s, is basically stretched to its breaking point which then allows for China to easily take whatever they want, whether it's the South China Sea, whether it's the Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea, whether it's attacking northern India like they did three years ago, or whether it, of course, is taking Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Taiwan and China because um, you and I did not get a chance to really talk about the passing or the memory or the legacy of Henry Kissinger. Yeah. And a lot of discussion and obviously tons of encomiums have been written and said about him over the past week. And I wonder if when we come back, you can talk about it, um, talk about his legacy. Yeah. He, uh, You're very studied in this area. And some of the discussion is what he did in the early 70s with Nixon and China was right at the time. The wages perhaps uh, today are a little deserve some reconsideration. I, I'm not even sure I'm there, um, you know, but I'd love to pick your brain on the legacy of Henry Kissinger when we come back. Can I do that with you, Brandon? Yeah. Thank you. Brandon Weikert and I will be right back. Why? 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 Why this song? Why? Why do we have this song at all? 
for Christmas or forever any reason, David. Why? No. I, I thought this was called a hazy shade of winter. Well, lose it. Lose it with dispatch. <laughs> this is what yeah. I deal with, Brandon. I deal with impertinence and contumacy <laughs> on a daily basis. Well, it makes for entertaining uh He's submitting entertaining a formal radio. request for more Christmas songs. Yeah, he's filing Title Seven lawsuits against me as we speak. <laughs> Brandon, violating the Guacamole Act of nineteen. Yeah, the Guacamole Act of nineteen seventeen. <laughs> I'm in violation of that. <laughs> Do you ever see The In-Laws? You'd love that movie, Brandon. You'd no, I have it. not. Oh, gosh. Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. You would love it. The original 1970. 19- oh, it sounds great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Legacy of Henry Kissinger, as I was saying before the break, uh, a lot of people will say what he did was genius, um, turned a bilateral problem into a trilateral uh, checkmate. Uh, but some people are saying maybe maybe the cost in light of where China is today is too much. I don't know. I wasn't for any of it, to be honest with you. Not that I was old enough to have a say at the time, but as I was studying it, none of it looked good to me. But who am I? He's Henry Kissinger. You tell well, me. Um, first thing it's important to remember is Kissinger was given all of the accolades and the credit for what was and always will be a Nixon initiative. Okay. Um, Kissinger was certainly a brilliant man. He certainly had a very particular worldview, and he did pair nicely with Nixon. But the real brains was Nixon. Now, Nixon has never given credit for anything because, of course, he was like literally Hitler before Donald Trump came around. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how, and he was obviously, he has a lot of baggage from the Watergate scandal. So they're never going to give Nixon his due. But Kissinger was a foot soldier in the Nixon agenda. Now, Nixon himself, in the 1979, during 1979, um, uh, Carter Deng Xiaoping meeting, uh, when the 1979 Shanghai communique was issued, which basically was the one China, two yep. systems yep. Uh, 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 policy, um, Nixon was invited by Carter to the White House party for Deng Xiaoping, and he went. But before he went, he sent a very long letter to Jimmy Carter in which he said, and this is a copy of which can be read in Bruce Hershenson's wonderful book, Taiwan, the Threatened Democracy. Good. Nixon said... I will never speak ill about another president while I'm alive, while I'm alive if only Carter had been as, as kind. Right. Um, and he said, but my plan with China was never to be a permanent alliance, uh-huh. that we're giving away too much, and this was never the intention. The intention of his China policy was temporary, was designed to drive a heart through the, uh, drive a stake rather through the heart of the communist alliance. Uh, at a time when America was perceived as weak because of the loss in Vietnam. Nixon achieved that, but his his successors, as is so often the case, they attempted to make permanent a policy that was never designed to be permanent. And Kissinger gets all the credit, and Kissinger went on afterward to do business with the Chinese Communist Party, known as an old friend by the Chinese Communist Party leader, which is a very specific term for somebody basically who's working for the interests of China rather than their home country. Um, So, you know, Kissinger, smart guy, made an impact, not a terrible guy, but certainly his record on this is mixed. Sad to see him go because I do think his final warning about the threat of a world war being upon us was very serious and very profound. He does um, 
leave behind the legacy, though, does he not, uh, of having abandoned Taiwan? I know that was not the intention or the direct right. negotiation, but that was the immediate price. That was an immediate price. Yes, yes. And he also, by the way, abandoned the Panama Canal. He was helpful in that. Right. So um, if you remember, Jimmy Carter was uh, desperate to get these uh, strategic arms limitation talks, yep. the SALT II Treaty, yep. through. Yep. And Kissinger was working the Republican caucus against uh, Carter. And one of the things that Kissinger helped to do was he said, hey, look, uh, if you hand over management of the Panama Canal to our new Chinese friends, I'll help you get Republican support for SALT II. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the deals that was struck behind the scenes between Kissinger and the Democrats. And we all know how that played out. So, yes, Kissinger was acting, whether he was doing it because he truly believed in a positive relationship being more beneficial or whether he was on the take. I I can't tell you for sure. But Kissinger's record is mixed at best. Mm -hmm. Academically, brilliant guy. His books should be read and studied by everyone. But as a policymaker, he's got a very mixed record and he gets way too much credit for what was actually a Nixon agenda piece, which was the the playing nice with China. Yeah, that makes its own sense, too. Anyone who understands Nixon's worldview, it was decidedly not Goldwater or Reagan. It no. was it was decidedly no. not. It was a much... No, it was more yeah, European. Correct. Much more realpolitik, yeah. even if, uh, if that, uh, if that uh, identifier is more associated with Henry Kissinger. That always was Richard Nixon. And that, that, yes. that includes talks with the Soviet Union. I mean, that was the That's fight right. between Buckley on, and Nixon on the one hand and Reagan yes. against Ford on the, uh, in well, the legacy of it. Right. But with Nixon, it, yes. But with Nixon, it was always Nixon was a realist, not just in the right. foreign policy sense, but in the in the sort of the, the general sense yep. where he he said, I inherited a turd sandwich uh-huh. from my predecessor yeah, yeah. in Vietnam. Yeah. And I've got to keep us in the fight and keep us competitive. Yeah. And I can't do that by playing the way JFK or Eisenhower right. would have. I've got to play it a lot more pragmatically. And I argue that his policies in the 70s got us over that horrible time period and allowed for the setting up of Ronald Reagan to be the ultimate decider and victor in the Cold War. Okay, that's a good argument, and and, and that's a good way to leave it. Let me take a couple minutes and just return to have you focus, if I can, because we really didn't do much on it, Uh, where you are thinking, where your thinking is right now as between what's going on in Gaza right now and Israel. Oh, I think that the Israelis are screwed. I think that um, Netanyahu. I think that Netanyahu has allowed Biden to railroad him and intimidate him into this feckless, weak policy toward Gaza. Um, I think that he. I think Netanyahu's days as prime minister are numbered. They're already restarting the investigation, the judicial probe into Netanyahu uh, for corruption charges that was suspended after the attacks. Uh, Basically, this is a political failure of epic proportions by Netanyahu's government, and it's largely because Netanyahu's government did not tell our government under Biden to stay out. Um, What what should have been done, what I was saying, as you know, from the beginning, both in my column at 1945, as well as on your show, was they should have sent the IDF army to cordon off Gaza and then spend 72 hours to 96 hours crushing every building in uh, Gaza by air and then channeling the inevitable refugee flows into the Sinai Peninsula and letting Egypt deal with their co-religionists. That's what should have been done. 
but it was deemed too harsh. And now Netanyahu is going nowhere fast. Um, and it's a real tragedy because what's going to happen now, and we're already seeing this with the attack in Jerusalem this last weekend, um, what's going to happen now is it will escalate in the long term. And Iran is planning for a much bigger attack via, I think, Hezbollah. I've been warning about the northern front. I thought it would come sooner than it has. But this just gives them more time to prepare for those precision-guided missile attacks against key Israeli infrastructure, as well as these ceasefires have given Hamas really unnecessary amounts of time to regroup and recalibrate for their next wave, which is coming. Brandon Weikert. Thank you, sir. Talk to you next Thank you. week. God bless. No, just no. Just no. Trying to find all sorts of alternatives. You don't songs. need to find. We've said no to that multiple times before this moment. No and no. No means no. Portions of the show are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a secure investment. It actually helps people, and you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Guess what? It's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. ton of flexibility here in this investment. There are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. No attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you get a monthly statement with no Surprises. As I say, it's a secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. It's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Bill Buckley was against a lot of what Kissinger was doing in the 70s, and uh, yet they were very good friends, and they became even better friends as time went on, though they disagreed vehemently, especially with policy towards China and, in fact, Taiwan. But when William Buckley died testifying to their friendship, Henry Kissinger said this as a eulogy. Over a decade ago, Bill and I discussed the relationship of knowledge to faith. I surmised it required a special act of divine grace to make the leap from the intellectual to the spiritual. In a note, Bill demurred. No special epiphany was involved, he argued. There could be a spiritual and intellectual drift until one day the eyes opened and happiness followed ever after. Bill noted that he had seen the culmination in friend that culmination in friends. He did not claim it for himself. Those of us who have grown old with Bill know better. We will forever remember how we were sustained by Bill's special serenity, the culmination of a long and very private quest. The younger generation, especially of his collaborators, whom he so cherished, was inspired by the inward peace Bill radiated, which he was too humble and, in a deep sense, too devout to assert except by example. In the solitude of parting, all of us give thanks to a benign providence that enabled us to walk part of our way with this noble, gentle, and valiant man who was truly touched by the grace of God. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. Henry Kissinger on William Buckley. And probably a good place to close the show today. So on behalf of uh, errant Young David, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all, and until tomorrow, class is dismissed. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.